All right, you guys ready to hit it fast and furious this morning? I realized first service that I had a three-part sermon all in one, and I only got through one part, so that kind of ticks me off when that happens. So I'm going to edit as I go, because first service is the guinea pigs. I work out most of the kinks by you, and then by third service, I'm delirious, and God only knows what's going to come out of my mouth. All right, get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 16. I hope you're not just hearing a good message on shame. I hope you're applying it to your life, and I love it. You know, we had an amazing week, okay? So for how many of you were here Friday night for the worship night? Wasn't that amazing? And, you know, in Acts chapter 2, it says when the Holy Spirit is on a people and they were full of the Holy Spirit, the world thought they were drunk. Part of it is because they were happy. And I just want to tell you, a bunch of us went to Culver's, and we took over Culver's. And it was crazy in there. It was raucous in there. There was so much laughter and joy, we cleared the place out. It was, it was incredible. And I kept thinking, we're doing all of this without the assistance of alcohol, which tells you it's so much better when you just get full of the Holy Spirit and trying to do it the world's way. But there was just a tangible sense of joy. And that joy comes when we get free from shame and we get full of Jesus. How I mean, you know, joy is a great thing. Freedom is a great thing. And, uh, and so we want to, there's, an, there's an important reason why we're preaching this series on shame. Because listen, you'll never be able to move in the supernatural joy of the Lord as long as you're burdened with shame. It will not happen. And our, our church needs to be a place where we can be seen and known. And where we can bring things out into the light and where God can heal us and restore us and set us free. And so people look at us and they're, they're, they're like, that's the happy tribe. What, is, what are they drinking over at Living Stones? I, I want to go get some of that. I mean, this is serious. Like, you guys are getting so free, you're actually talking about Jesus after church in the lobby. Like, how is that for weird? I'm serious. <laughs> you know, when the early church was rocked by the Holy Spirit, everywhere they went, it was about Jesus. Everywhere they went. They loved people. They were generous like crazy. And, and the power of God moved in their midst. Signs and wonders followed their ministry. And the Lord added to the church daily. How many want to go to a church like that? Come on. All right, three of you. All right, the rest of you I'm working on. Some, some of you are like, I'm not real sure about that, Pastor. That seemed pretty weird. All right, no, it's great weird. It's awesome weird. And then how about this? I got to honor our children's ministry. At a lot of places, the pastor gets up and he's like begging for stuff all the time. You guys, please, would somebody please... Volunteer to work with our teenagers, please. I mean, you know, that's disgusting. I, I, I never want to grovel about a privilege to serve God's people. We should never grovel about that. So we put the need out because here's the deal. Some of you need to get this on your, on your agenda. We are having to turn away, as some of you know, turn away children when our rooms exceeded capacity. It's a nice problem, but it's still a problem. And we just sat down with our team and we said, this is a problem we must solve because this is not acceptable. I mean, we don't want to be turning away kids from children's ministry because there's no room in the end, all right? So here's what we decided. We're going to offer full-blown children's ministry all the way through little ones all the way up to fifth grade. We're going to offer that at first service and second service so that all of you parents, when the sun's coming up early, the birds are chirping, and it's warm outside, and the flowers are blooming. It's coming, by the way. It's just around the corner. And your kids are waking up early like normal on school, and you're like, please go to bed. I want to sleep some more. Well, now you can get up and bring them to first service if you want, 
or a second service, because here's what happened. We put, the, we put the request out. We said, look, we need to double our children's ministry team. How many of you know that's no small request? That's a big request. And you guys responded. Saturday morning, over 90 of you showed up. Many of you are here. 90 of you. It's crazy. I just want to say, 90 people showing up to jump into an exciting children's ministry is a sign and a wonder in churches. I mean, it is a sign and a wonder. You know what it's a sign and a wonder of? It's a sign of health. And it's a sign of passion. It's a sign of people who want to be involved and help. So can I just tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I speak for all of our children's ministry team from the bottom of their hearts. What a great, excellent presentation yesterday. Kirk and the rest of the team, great job. Give our children's ministry workers a hand. All right. Get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. I want to welcome Scooter and Alex uh, Jacobus in town this weekend, all the way from uh, San Antonio. Good to have them in town. Little family reach out love right there. All right, Genesis 16. Take a look. It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife. Now notice it's not Sarah and Abraham. It's Sarah and Abram because this is before God did the, the covenant and the name change. Uh, they had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as his wife. Now notice parenthetically, it says here at the end of verse 3, added by the Holy Ghost, this happened, to give us some context, this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So let's do a little bit of a history lesson here. How I many you know Abraham is the father of faith, as we know him in the Bible? But he didn't start off as this great man of faith and power. Like none of us in this room start off that way. God has to grow us, amen? He has to process us. We never have faith unless we've gone through some challenges and we have to believe God. So God is always going to process us. And can I just encourage you? You are men and women of faith and power. You're just growing into it like the rest of us, okay? But that's what was happening with Abraham here. So you go back to Genesis chapter 12, which is 10 years prior. And it said, the Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. Notice God didn't tell him where. He just said, I'm going to show you. Go. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, Abraham was 75 years of age at the time, and he had no children, but God just told him, out of you will come a great nation. How I many you know, this is a huge miracle here. He cannot see how this is going to happen. He's standing here alone at this time, but God has spoken. How I many you know, it's always good just to believe what God has spoken and not to try to figure it out. So 75 years old, he hears that promise. Later, in fact, in the previous chapter, Genesis 15, Abram is given another promise from God. He's, he's basically, he's complaining to the Lord. He's saying, God, you've blessed me so much, but I still don't have an heir. And he was looking at one of his servants as being the heir. And it says in Genesis 15, 4, God tells him specifically, you will have a son of your own. Who will be your heir? Now, how many know that's pretty specific? You will have a son of your own. It's not going to be somebody else's child. This is going to be your child, your son. In fact, in the very next verse, God takes him outside of his tent, and he said, look up at the stars in the sky. It was an object lesson. That's how many descendants you will have. 
Have you figured out sometimes God has to remove us from our normal routine, our normal roof over our heads? He brings us outside where we can look at the open, the, the expanse of the stars. And he says, look, see how many stars? Can you count them? Of course, the answer was no. He goes, that's how many offspring you're going to have. Powerful visual picture that God is giving to Abram to build his faith. And here's where we get to that famous verse, Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and it says the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now this is an Old Testament picture, I mean an Old Testament picture of New Testament faith. In other words, how many of you know we're counted righteous not on our own virtue or our own behavior, our own keeping of the law, but we are counted righteous on behalf of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so when we place our faith in Christ and in Christ's work, we get the riches of what Christ purchased for us. We get forgiveness of sins. We're adopted into his family. Um, we're, we're, we get eternal life and a whole bunch of other things. But it comes not by our performance. It comes by our faith. How I many you know the, the work of the believer is really simple? It's belief. Belief. Believe God. Believe his promises. Believe his word. Believe what he has spoken to you. Believe, believe, believe. But after 10 years of believing a promise and saying no movement toward the fulfillment of that, have any of you ever been weak in God's delays? And here's what happens. Sometimes we interpret the delays of God as a denial from God. Like God's delaying because he's not going to grant what he promised that he would do. Or maybe God did that for somebody else, but he's not doing it for me. And so Sarai, her faith becomes weak, and she starts to take matters into her own hands. Has anybody ever done that before? You're going to help God out. Every time we try to help God out, we mess things up. And so a promise that still hasn't happened after 10 years now takes more time because God's fixing up the thing we messed up when we tried to help him out. Have you all figured out, this is something I hate about God. Pastor, what do you hate about God? He gives us a promise, and then most of the time, we have to wait. I don't like to wait. I want it now. Or he gives you a promise. Some prophetic person will pray over you, right? And they'll, they'll speak. Twilight, this is what I see in you. And they start speaking what they see, God's placed in you. But how many of you figured out that that word is not for immediate activation? God has a lot to fix in you and grow in you and me. He's got he's to process us. Now, the word we hold on to, but that word is not... The fulfillment of it is not the day after tomorrow, most of the time. And, and, and here's what I found. When we had our most incredible prophetic word spoken over living stones, I was so encouraged. I'm like, yes, Lord. I don't know how that's going to happen, but yes, Lord. How many you know my faith was right there with those words? And then we went through six to eight years of absolute hell as a church. The wind was in our face. Some of you are nodding your head. All of you nodding your head, I just want to say, thank you for staying on the ship with us, all right? Thank you, guys, all right? Because we have a history together, do we not? And I got to where if someone said, hey, pastor, I have a word for you. I'm like, no, please, I've got enough. And they're all miserable. I don't want to hear any more, all right? They're all promises of God's blessing, and none of it's coming to pass, and I don't want to hear any more. In fact, the more good words I get, the more in real life, it's terrible, so you're saying, Pastor, is that really? Yes, I'm serious. I'm not joking. I didn't want to hear another prophetic word in my life. 
But how many of you know right now we're living in the fulfillment of those prophetic words that some of them were 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? You're, you're smiling little faces. Your smiling little faces are the answer to words we've been holding on to for decades. That's why when we have this flow, all these new family every week, oh, I'm at home. I'm like, are you kidding me? Seriously. Because there was a day when we couldn't open the back doors fast enough to let people out. But how many of you know God has a purpose in everything? And most of the time it's to kill me so that he can do more through me. What an encouraging word this morning, Pastor. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, God's working on all y'all, and he's freeing us from shame, and he's getting us ready for a great blessing. But Sarai, after 10 years, was like, I've had enough of this. She takes the matters in her own hands. And this passage is bizarre to us because there's not a, a, a married couple that would think about doing something like this. But how many of you know, and again, this was not God's pattern. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we get the idea that God's endorsing it or blessing it. How many of you know God made his intentions for marriage clear all the way back in Genesis? One man, one woman, leaving, cleaving, forming covenant for life. That's God's plan. So when you read polygamy in the Bible, oh, well, David had more. No, that, none of those things. Abraham, no, that, that was not God's plan. That was man's helping God out. At least as we think. So in this situation, how's the family name going to come on? Who's going to be the heir? If Sarah's not expecting and she can't conceive, then we're going to take things into our own hands in what was acceptable means of the culture. Can I, can I just challenge you all again? Let's not fall into whatever's becoming acceptable in the culture so that we think we're helping God out. I can't tell you how many churches have sold their souls and sold the gospel thinking that if they do things more like the world does it, they're going to be more attractional. Can I tell you what is attractional to the world? The presence of God. That's attractional. So it says, verse 4, Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Guys, can I just tell you, things haven't changed for several thousand years, all right? I'd be saying to both of them, marriage class at 4 o'clock, all right? Marriage class at 4 o'clock. Abram's going, now I thought you told me this is what you wanted me to do so that this would happen, and it did happen, and now that it's happened, now you're not happy, and it's my fault. And let me tell you something else. I have tried to preach sermons on families for a long time. And, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, like, let's do a family message. And so you go to the Bible and you try to find the model family. Have any of you tried to do this? They're not there. All you find in the Bible, anytime there's more than one person in a unit, is shame, guilt, sin, and dysfunction. Which tells me the Bible is true. <laughs> I was looking for that perfect couple. Been in church all their lives. Two children, white picket fence, dog named Spot. Teach Sunday school since they were born. Those people don't exist in the real world. They're not out there. That's why I told you all. It is encouraging on the one hand to realize we're all messed up. 
And we all come from families, no matter how good your family was. It was not a perfect family. Those, those families do not exist. Just broken, everyday, run-of-the-mill families who, who, who we can put them on a continuum from only slightly messed up to totally jacked up. And some, I mean, you know, families are feeding grounds. They're manufacturing plants of shame. Some of you came from families where shame was thick. Shame was the way you were disciplined. Shame was the way you were put in your place. Uh, maybe it was physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, just people being nasty to one another, jealousy, striving. I mean, horrific stuff happens in families until Jesus comes in and begins to clean it all up. So we got a major, major mess here. Sarah's turning to Papa here and going, it's your fault. And I want you to see Abram acts like a typical guy. Check this out. Then Sarah, I said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she treats me like crap. I mean, contempt. <laughs> contempt. <laughs> Sorry, my eyes are going bad. <laughs> Give me grace. I just hit 60. All right. <laughs> the Lord, she says, now we get spiritual. Now we get spiritual. Bring the Lord in. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. See, things haven't changed. <laughs> Let me quote a Bible verse at you just to show you that you're totally wrong. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. You deal with her as you see fit. In other words, he did one of these. And then look what happened. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now, Proverbs 30, verse 23 says this. There are three things that make the earth tremble. No, four that it cannot endure. And number four is a servant girl who supplants her mistress. That's exactly what we have right here. Servant girl goes from Egyptian slave outside of the covenant to wife of Abraham and pregnant with Abraham's seed. I mean, you know, she went from a pretty bad place to a pretty good place, but all that shifted in just a second because now Sarai is absolutely mistreating her. We don't know what that looked like, verbal abuse, physical abuse, probably all of the above, but it was ugly. She despised, Hagar despised Sarai. And then you look at what was probably going on in Sarai's mind. Am I enough? How come I, how come I couldn't conceive? Will my husband still love me? Shame, 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 shame. But think about what happened to Hagar when she's thrown out. She's full of despair. She's hopeless. She's tired. She's alone. She's pregnant, rejected. She's cast out after being used. It wasn't her idea for this plan. And surely she feels like nobody cares and nobody understands. But thank God, look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, here's the good news. We said Jesus not only saves lost people, but he seeks them out. Aren't you grateful for that? Here is a woman outside of the covenant, rejected, cast away. She's wandering in the wilderness, and all of a sudden it says the angel of the Lord finds her. Now, this word found in the Hebrew means finding someone or something that has been lost or misplaced. Have you ever felt lost or misplaced? in life. I think we can all relate to that. That's exactly how Sarah feels, or, or Hagar feels. But it says the angel of the Lord finds her. She's alone. She's in the wilderness of her life. 
She doesn't know where she's going or what the next day holds. And I want you to see something. This is so important. And this is a big takeaway from this text. The angel asks her two important questions. And we talked about this before. You can't get free from shame until you are known by someone else. In other words, please hear what I'm saying. You'll never be fully free from shame in your prayer closet all alone. You'll be forgiven for whatever you did. You can ask the Lord for forgiveness. He'll forgive you. But shame always involves somebody else. And so since shame always involves somebody else, you can't get free from it unless you talk to somebody else. I want somebody to connect some dots here. In other words, you have to look at another human being, preferably one who loves you, cares for you, accepts you, believes in you, a safe place. But you have to find another human being And you have to bring the junk out of your heart, and you have to get it out in the open. And then here's what happens. You bring it out in the open. You're so full of shame, even in doing it, just the thought of it makes you sick. And in your heart of heart, the devil's lying to you. What is this person going to think? And here's the beauty of it. You, You go there, and you bring it out, and then what do you get back from that person? Love, acceptance, compassion, kindness. And then what happened to your shame? It just evaporated. Because you realize there's other people who have gone through similar situations. We've all sinned. It doesn't matter if our sin's different. And there's people who want to see you and know you and care for you and love you. That's why you, you can never get set free from shame outside of the culture of the local church. Can I just share something else? It's why you cannot get free from shame watching a, t- a television evangelist or even if you're watching online, which I'm grateful for the c- convenience of it, but you'll never come into the fullness of what God's called you to be outside of the context of relationships in the body of Christ. That's why you had all these woke preachers talking about this is a new day, this is a divine reset, God's trying to get the church out of the church and on and on and on and now we, got, now we can watch on television and it's all going to be different now. No, it's not. The church is God's idea. He hasn't changed his mind. COVID doesn't change God's mind. This this is God's idea. We we need to love each other, face each other, hug one another, pray for one another, forgive each other, all in the context of of a local church fellowship. That's how we get healthy. See, this is what I love. When you have a guy from Shine FM coming in here, and he told me, this church is off the charts, crazy. Everybody's hugging me. Everybody's greeting me. I never felt so loved. If I didn't live so far away, I would be at this church next Sunday. Why is he saying all that? Because of all you crazy people who have been loved to life, and now you're able to love other people better than you ever have before. That's why. This is your. Pastor Ron's name is not on this because I can't do all of that stuff that you guys do. This is our church name on here because this is a group effort, amen? This takes all of us. So check this out. The angel of the Lord finds her in the wilderness. I want you to see this. Along the road to Shur. Now, this is something pretty, pretty cool. What does Hagar's name mean? It means flight. She's a runner. Where's she running? She's running away. Where's, what road is she on? She's on the road to sure. What does sure mean? It means wall. Have you ever run from God only to hit the wall? Have you ever had your back up against the wall? Because that's what happens when we run from what God's trying to do in our lives. So she's running. So he asked her, he says, first of all, tell me, I love this, where have you come from? 
When you take the time to sit down with somebody and say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Where do they usually start? They start in the past. They go back to the beginning and they try to bring you up to speed on how did you get where you are now. Do you know that it is an incredible compliment when we simply take the time to hear somebody's story? Because here's two basic needs we all have. We want to be seen. So this is why people get irritated if you're not present in a conversation. And I'm sharing this from experience because my kids have helped me with this. When your mind is somewhere else, any of you ever do that? I'm getting yeah, kids. Kids, am I getting better? Show me some love. All right. That was a little weak. All right, a little weak. So, so here's the deal. They want to be seen. I'm listening. I'm all here for you. Talk to me. Talk to me. I want to hear what's going, going on. And we want to be heard. We want to be known. This is why the church is an amazing place to get healed. And, and, and let me just tell you this. This is why Jesus didn't pick up the first stone and start pummeling this woman caught in adultery like we talked about last week. Jesus took the time to look her in the face. To, he already knew her past, right? And he was trying to give her a future. He's trying to say, hey, go. No one's here to condemn you. Go and don't sin any longer. Quit living the way you've been living. He took the time to recognize her as a person. The Pharisees didn't even know her name. They just used her as a pawn. So, so how about this? What if in the local church we took the time, instead of judging people who are in a bad spot, what if we took the time to sit down with them over a cup of coffee and say, hey, what's going on? I'll tell you, this is, this is what's touched me over the years as I've discipled men, and I took the time to say, tell me your story, and I find out the horrific background they came from, physical abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment. And now I look at them, and is their marriage perfect? No. None of our marriages are perfect, right? Is their family all perfect? No. None, none of our families are perfect. But when I see who they are based on what they've come out of, I don't judge them next to Jesus and say, oh, you're a sinner. You're a failure. When are you going to get it? No, no. You see where they came from, and it gives you so much more compassion. And honestly, the esteem level goes up because you go, man, I came from a relatively good family. I was raised in the church. I came from a Christian family. You are so far ahead of the game with what God has shown you and where you've come because of what you've walked through. I have nothing but admiration and respect. Great job. Keep it up. You know, Larry and Michelle, I'm just looking, not picking on you guys, but we've, we went up last, last week, week before, I'm hugging Larry crying. Because I know some of the journey. I know you guys have been working on it, right? Going to renovating you, getting some stuff healed, going to encounters. I know that there is a past that is painful. But, man, I got so much respect for both of you guys. And so proud of you. And we believe in you. And I tell Larry, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. Because you're going to be ministering out of a history of God's healing and encounters with God that is amazing. And we just hugged because you know what? Everybody wants to know they're seen and they're known and that God has a future for them, which is look at the next question the angel asks. <laughs> there we go. Where are you going? Don't you love this about God? He doesn't just say, well, tell me about your past. He says, tell me where you're going. Because there's always a future with the Lord.
I don't care how painful the past is. There's always a future with the Lord. So I want you to see, this is, this, this is the angel. This is the first time in the Bible the angel, the phrase angel of the Lord is used. This is a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus in the Old Covenant, all right? This is God. This is a divine being, not just an angel. This is a divine being. And I want you to hear what God asks you. He wants to know where you've come from, and he wants to know where you're going. And I would like to ask you all to think about those two realities this morning. Where did you come from? And the bigger question is, where are you headed? Because here's what I found. People who are trapped in shame do not have a very clear picture of where they're headed. Most of them that are trapped in shame are just trying to survive. Have you ever been there? Just trying to survive. But the Lord offers her a listening ear, someone who cares. And, 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 and look at what she says. Man, there's so many great principles here. She says, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Hagar's name literally means flight. So, so here's the flighty one. She's taken off. And I just want to share this with you all. I think it was Melanie Wagner last week. I can't remember what service, but she stood up, and here's what she said. When people would, it was an amazing revelation. When people get close to my shame, I lash out. Now, let me just tell you, if, if you're in here today and you're dealing with an anger problem, it's probably not an anger problem. That's not the root. The root is you have shame in your life, and your coping mechanism is when anybody gets close to you, because what you tell people is, stay away. Don't get close to me. Now, don't elbow your neighbor. This is, this is for you this morning, right? But we all know people like that. I can't tell you how many times in this church, okay, people say stuff like this. Jerry and Terry, you'll get a kick out of this. Before I came to Living Stones, our marriage was great. <laughs> Usually that stupid comment is coming out of the mouth of a male individual. <laughs> man, man, my marriage was great before we came here, and then all of a sudden we went to marriage class, and man, all of a sudden everything started hitting the fan. Yeah, because you had all of this you-know-what going on in your life, but you were just hiding it like the mayo in the refrigerator, right? I can't see any mayo. Where's the mayo? Uh, everything's great. And then you start exposing some of this stuff. And then listen, as soon as it start, we start getting close, boom, you're church shopping. See, some people like to go to really big churches because they hide there. Nobody knows when I'm here. Nobody knows when I'm not. I can just have Jesus on my terms and never grow up. I can be Peter Pan in church all the rest of my life. Just call me Peter Pan. Put my little leotards on. I never, have, I never have to be a man. So as soon as you get close, ah, defense mechanisms, and you run away. She's running away. Her name means flight. She's got her back against the wall. But how many of you have found this to be true? You're never going to solve any problems in your life by running. In fact, the biggest thing is you got to actually stay still and face the issues of your woundedness. And can I just tell you, this is scary and painful all at the same time. Who, who, you know, who wants to start trying to get free from shame when you know your shame impacts other people who you love and, who you love and care for? And now they're going to feel the ripple effects of your shame. So in other words, I'm getting free, but because I'm getting free, my wife now and my kids maybe are dealing with the ripple effects of my sin. But how I many of you know the end result is there's going to be great freedom in all of our family and great forgiveness and great healing. I, I will be the best version and best man of God I'll possibly be by exposing it. But it's hard when you do this because things get messy and memories are painful 
and all of that stuff. But I'm telling you, it's worth every bit of the fight. If you keep running, if you keep running and you keep running, you keep running, you'll never be the man or woman that Christ died for you to become. And you'll always deal with some measure of shame in your life. Now check this out. Many times we change our circumstance. We think if I go to a different church, a different state, a different job, a different spouse, if I just have a change of circumstances, I'm going to be better. But all we do is we jump literally from the frying pan into the fire. Because ready for this? If you get up today and move to Florida and you got a life full of problems, Florida will not change you. You have to stop running and face your problems. Your problems will not go away. You will just mask them under a nice suntan. Hallelujah. All right. (laughs) Look at verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, this is powerful, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now, this is powerful. I'd like to stand up here and tell you, you know, God loves you, has an amazing plan for your life, and God's like a big fairy godmother with, with pixie dust, and he's sprinkling blessings all over you guys. I love you all. You're all so precious. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. But I'm leaving out an important part. It's obedience that brings the blessing. And can I just tell you something? God will ask you to do things that you know are true and right, and you know it's God. And then the ball's in your court. And you can act like you're not hearing and keep going stubbornly following the path of your own choice, or you can do something costly, at least seems costly. You can do what God's telling you to do. You can obey God. Can I just tell you something? On the other side of obedience is blessing Beyond belief. I got to say this again. On the other side of obedience is blessing beyond belief. God blessed Ishmael. We're still dealing with the results of that blessing today because Ishmael was promised a multitude as well. And we know that the seed of of, uh, Isaac and the seed of Ishmael are still contending to this day. But there was a great blessing for Hagar if she would obey. Now, let me just share something with you. Some of you, if I asked you, do you have a pastor? You would say, oh, yeah, 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 I go, I go over to Living Stones. And, well, what's the pastor's name? Ah, oh, man. Um, you know, because sometimes you're not there that much. I, I deal with this all the time. I'll ask people, you know, hey, are, are, do you have a church? Yeah, what church do you go to? Oh, who's the pastor? Ah, mm, I mean, no, that's not a good sign. And so some people say, oh, yeah, I have a pastor. It's Pastor Ron. But let me tell you how you know if you have a pastor. The first chance you get to receive correction, I'll let you know if I'm just a figurehead or if I'm your pastor. It's getting real quiet in here. (laughs) People come in here sometimes and say, you know, what what do we call you? You know, call you Ron, call you Pastor Ron, call you dude. What 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 do we call you? Pastor dude. <laughs> and usually what I tell people, I say, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want me to be? Are you looking for a pastor? Or do you just go to church on Sunday and 
You'll hang out at that church until somebody in authority offends you, and then you'll go to another church or leave. Or are you really looking for a pastor? Because last time I checked, pastors are supposed to shepherd your soul, and pastors are supposed to tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. And pastors are called to put some glass in the nest and encourage you to fly sometimes when you don't feel like getting out of your comfort zone. See, listen, if, if some people, well, pastor, are you, are you trying to say it's all about you, pastor? It's all, it's all about you, right? It's all about, it's all about you. You're, you're, you're just abusing your authority. Listen, folks, if you think I picked up this gig so I could try to control your life, <laughs> you're nuts. Because if I, if I was trying to be a selfish idiot, there's a lot more ways I could do that easier than the, than the current choice. So I'm just challenging you when there are people that God's placed in your life to help you grow and to help you be free and who love you. Now, let me just say this. I'm looking at some of you are looking at me. I can tell from your face. Some of you have come from places where those in authority wounded you. Mm. I mean, legitimately wounded you. So, Pastor, what would you say to do? Well, Hagar's pretty cool. Go back to where you came from. Face the problem. Deal with your heart. Release a spirit of honor, and then figure out what the Lord wants you to do from there. Can I tell you what happens in churches all the time? I'm just being real here. None of this is in the notes. We're just on a roll. You guys really want on a roll. People in church have offenses. It's amazing. I know you probably didn't know that, but they get mad at each other. And usually someone's a victim and somebody else is the victimizer. And, sometimes, you know. and, and so what, what, do, what do church people do when there's offense? Well, they go, hey. I'm not, I don't even want to see that person, but I kind of like stones at the church. So they go to first service. I'm going to go to third service so I don't have to see their nasty face ever again. <laughs> now, we don't say that out loud, but it, trust me, it's going on on the inside. And Or they just split right away and they just go somewhere else. Now, let me just say something. Is running from offense a way to grow relationally? Is that the way Jesus wants us to live? Now, see, some of you are, are you're experiencing, this culture, it's amazing, oh my God. Let me tell you why it's amazing. Because we practice the Bible. Because we face each other and we go low and we, we ask for forgiveness and we want to hear the story. And please tell me why you said that and what's going on. And well, let me share my heart with you. We listen and we, we forgive like Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And we forgive and then we have amazing relationships. It's crazy how that works. Or you can just try to avoid people and go to different services or different churches or move out of the country for God's sake. I don't know what you're going to do. But how about we, just try, how about we go back and we face the problem? See, some of you, you got, you got stuff that happened when you were a kid. Until you face the stuff from when you were a kid, it will haunt you the rest of your life. You'll have your back up against the wall the rest of your life. you got to deal with the wounds and the offense. All right, let me move on. Look at verse 11. And the angel also said this, you're now pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Ishmael, which means God hears now, I was joking around a little bit. We're living in this woke culture where when it comes to naming our kids, we have all kinds of crazy names. Like, I'm going to name my kid Apple Tree. <laughs> Don't do that to your kid. Names have prophetic meanings about them. Names call out destinies. Names identify. Every time Hagar called 
her son's name, Ishmael, she was saying this, God hears. Hey, God hears. It's time for dinner. Get in here. Mama's got food on the, on the, God hears, God hears, God hears. I mean, you know, every time she declared his name, she was worshiping. So be strategic with how you name your kids. And preferably name them something that calls forth a God-ordained destiny in their lives. Amen? All right, I might have stepped on some toes there, but hey, it's good. You got to forgive me. I just preached on that. You got to practice it. All right, I'm skipping, skipping, edit as I go. Look at verse 13. Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the, the one, the capital O, God Almighty, who sees me? This is the name El-Rohi, El-Rohi. Uh, it means the God who sees. And she named the well there, the well of the living one who sees me. Now, this is awesome. The voice of shame will tell you no one cares. Nobody sees you. No, no, nobody's looking at you. God, where are you? In fact, the devil fills our head with all kinds of accusations against God. Can I just tell you something about God? If you want to be seen and you want to be known, then if you'll live and honor God, you will, you will live before the eyes of the one who sees everything and knows everything about you. A root of shame is, uh, I'm anonymous, nobody cares, I'm hurting, I'm in the wilderness, I'm a mess, and nobody cares, and nobody sees me. Have you ever felt that way with God? It's a lie from the pit of hell. Listen to what the Bible says. Job 31, verse 4, doesn't God see everything I do and every step I take? Job 34, 21, for God watches how people live, he sees everything they do. This is scary and awesome all at the same time. God sees everything I do. He knows me inside and out. He knows my name. He knows where I've come from. He knows where I'm going. He's watching over me. His eyes are on me right now. His, he knows what's happening. He's got my past taken care of. He, he is so in tune, so focused on me and so focused on you. That's who, who he is. He's El-Rohi. That's part of his name. He sees me right now. He knows every one of my thoughts. He knows every heartache I've ever experienced, and he knows what I'm thinking about. He knows the imaginations in my mind even now. God knows me intimately. Look at Hebrews 4.13. I'm wrapping up here. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Our scars, our strengths, our secrets, everything is accountable to God. Everything is laid open before the Lord. We're no longer anonymous, we're not lonely, we're not lost, we're people who God looks at. And I close with this verse here. This is Psalm 139. You know that chapter, that amazing psalm. But listen to this truth. Psalm 139, verse, verse 1 through 3. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel just like Hagar was traveling on the road to Shur. And when I rest at home, and listen to this, you know everything I do. Now, like I said, here's, here's the good news about this. It would be terrible news if God saw and knew everything about me and was perfectly holy and righteous and punished me for all my sin and my shortcomings. That would be bad news. But here's the good news. Ready for this? Nobody knows you better 
not your spouse, not yourself. No one on planet earth knows you better than God. And nobody loves you more. If this does not let us give a big exhale and just start pulling the shame pockets out of our life, right? Yep, got some right there. Get that out. Get that out. Get the garbage out of your life because the one who knows you best loves you most. He knows everything I've fought, every step I've taken, every desire of my heart, every bit of loneliness. How about this? Hagar starts off wandering in the wilderness and she ends up being a rabid worshiper. Anybody ever spent time in the wilderness and now you're a lover of Jesus? So when the devil comes and says, God's, God's not looking, God doesn't care, you're not even on God's radar, go back to Genesis 16. Say, no, 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 no. Devil, you're a liar. God knows every minute detail of my life. My past, my present, my future. He sees me, he knows me, he loves me. So I can live before his presence like that. I can be free. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're standing before your eyes even now. Lord, examine our hearts, Lord. Encourage. I feel the, the, the word of the Lord to encourage some of you this morning to respond to what God's speaking to you. Respond to those nudges from the Holy Spirit today. The altar is going to be full of some amazing people. Not perfect people, but man, are they lovers of Jesus because they've been forgiven much and they love much. And you know what? They want to hear your story. They want to know about your past. They want to know where you're headed because Jesus knows and he wants to touch you and encourage you and set you free this morning. So this is we're, we're doing our homework now. This is, this is shame month, all right? We're getting free so that we can be the people God's called us to be. And I want to encourage you, don't leave here with those stinky, wet, cold, filthy rags of shame hanging on you when God wants to literally set you free and give you a robe of righteousness and bless you. Father, I pray for those right now that are working through difficult issues. I pray great grace. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't get stuck with anybody's past, but our eyes would always be on you and on the future that you have for us. So, Lord, I pray for breakthrough and healing and restoration, Lord, and situations where we're still believing you for children that are far away. Lord, we call them back home even this morning. Come back to the one who's, who knows you and loves you and sees you and cares for you more than anyone. We, we call back the prodigals this morning, Lord. We ask you, Father, to do a great work. God, pour out your love on our people. As we leave here today, may we carry the joy of the King everywhere we go. And Father, may as we've been set free from shame, may we set others free. If you're here today, too, and you don't know Christ, we would love to pray with you, all right? Don't leave here without us being able to pray and bless you and lead you to the one who loves you and knows you more than anyone. So, Father, thank you for doing that. Save people, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Hey, have a great day. Go be a blessing, all right? We'll see you next week.